Well, I want, you to invite, I want to invite you rather to open up your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter five, verse 31. Matthew chapter five, verse 31. We're continuing through Matthew today. Again, we're in Matthew 5, 31. If you don't have a Bible, that's all right. The scriptures are gonna be behind me on the screen. Now guys, today um, we're looking at and gonna be talking about honestly what is in my opinion and the opinion of a lot of people, one of the most difficult passages to sort of understand and grasp in the entire Bible, and that is Jesus' teaching on divorce and remarriage. And the reason it's so difficult is because it goes so contrary to what the culture says. And um, before we jump into Matthew 5 here today, I wanna say a few things to help us get our minds right, sort of get our minds around uh, what Jesus is eventually gonna say here in the text. And, and here's the first thing I wanna say, and I want you to listen to me really carefully. I've, I've done ministry long enough to know that this is an extremely difficult passage, extremely painful passage for a lot of people that are here today. Jesus is gonna say some really difficult things, um, especially if you're here and you've been divorced before. And so for those of you that are here that you're divorced or you're, you're walking through a difficult marriage, I want you to hang with me all the way to the end. Just hang with me all the way to the end. Resist the temptation to sort of get mad or reject anything that the Lord is saying. Hang with me all the way to the end. Because I think the last thing, and I want you to hear this, the last thing I want to do in the world is is shame you or cause any further trauma in your life. And the only thing I have any desire to do whatsoever today is to, to accurately and faithfully teach you what Jesus says. That's all I wanna do with the hopes that you and I both can more faithfully walk this out in the days of our lives that are to come. I think the other thing, number two, I think the temptation when you get to a, when you're preaching through a verse like this is to try to explain every possible scenario that can occur in married relationships. You know, under what scenarios can I get divorced? Under what scenarios can I get remarriage? Matt, what about this situation, that situation? And I'm not gonna walk down those paths today, not many of them. Because at the end of the day, I think those are wrong questions to ask. It's sort of like when you're dating and you know that sex before marriage is wrong, but you ask the question, um, you know, how far can I go and it still be okay and it still not be sin? Okay, I think the better question is, what is God's standard for me? What is his heart for me? And how do I run towards his heart and his standard? I think that's the better question. So hopefully let's do that today. And so what I'm gonna do and hear this, is I'm gonna do the best that I can to paint an accurate picture of God's view of marriage, and I wanna paint an accurate picture of God's view of divorce with the hope that, again, whatever situation you find yourself in today, you can apply God's view of marriage and God's view of divorce into that situation. Now, number three, lastly here, um, if you're single here today, you're young or you're single, I think the temptation is to think, well, this subject doesn't apply to me but that can't be farther from the truth, okay? Because the time for you to get your mind around and to begin to understand what is God's view of marriage and what's God's view of divorce is not after you get married, okay? The time to get your mind around how God views this thing called marriage and how God views this thing called divorce is before you get married. So if you're here today and you're not married, take notes because the time to learn this stuff is right now. All right, so let's jump in. Let's look at the text together. Again, one of the hardest things Jesus says in all the Bible, Matthew 5, 31. He said, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife 
let him give her a certificate of divorce. And by the way, guys, not a lot of funny stories today, not a lot of jokes, not a lot of cool illustrations. There's just a lot of teaching today. So if you're ADD, put your seatbelt on, hang with me. All right, let's go. Um, He says, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now it's important to keep in mind here that Jesus is going through a series of six statements. And in those six statements, he's, he's saying, hey, I've, you've heard it said this way, but I'm saying it this way. In other words, six different times he's saying, look, this is the heart of the culture. This is what you've been taught. But I'm letting you know that new kingdom citizens are living to a radical different standard of holiness. And so what Jesus is saying here in this text, he's saying, look, in the past you've been taught that if you wanna get divorced, you give your wife a certificate of divorce and it's no big deal, move on. But Jesus is saying, but what I'm telling you is that if, if, if you get divorced and then you get remarried, that you're committing Adultery. Now, those are really strong words. In uh, 21st century America, we hear that and we say, whoa, wait a minute. Wait, 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 whoa, 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 wait a minute, Jesus. That sounds pretty harsh. Okay, so for us to get our minds around why Jesus makes this statement, why we sort of get to understand where he's coming from, we need to start by understanding what God's view of marriage is and what God's view of divorce is. And then when you, when you start understanding how does God look at marriage, how does God create marriage, how does God view divorce, then all of a sudden that statement starts making sense, all right? So let me give you some things about how God view, views marriage and divorce. Here's the first one. <clears throat> this ought to be a little bit of a review for some of you that were here last week because we talked about marriage. But here's the first thing you need to remember is this, is that man did not invent marriage, but God did. Man did not invent marriage but God did. Don't turn there, but watch. In Genesis chapter two, verse 24, this is God speaking. He says, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. All right, so all the way back in the garden of Eden, before sin ever entered in the picture, God created marriage. He thought it up. Man did not create marriage. Man did not think up marriage. It was God that created marriage. And so in light of that, that, it's, that God was the one that thought it up and created it, what did he say that our marriage would look like? What did he say that was happening when two people came together and got married? We said this. He said that the man would leave his father and his mother and that he would hold fast to his wife. Now that word hold fast right there, check it out. That's a word that means to, to cleave or it's a word that means to cement together. And so that's what that means, that God takes two people, he cleaves them together, he cements them together, and then they become one. One way to think about it would be welding. I'm not a welder, but the basic idea is that you take two separate pieces of metal, and you weld them together, and now you've got one piece of metal, and that's what God does. As the man leaves his father and mother, he cleaves, he cements, he welds to his wife, and the Lord creates this sort of unbreakable physical and emotional and spiritual bond between two people to the point that now they are one. And so that's what God was doing all the way back in Genesis. Now let's jump way ahead in the Bible 
to the New Testament because what Paul's gonna do is he's gonna say what that uh, one flesh, new, welded together union is meant to be a picture of and to represent. He's gonna tell us what the whole purpose of marriage was, why God created it, Ephesians 5.31. Paul says this. He says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, cleave, be welded to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then in verse 32, he tells us, and by the way, that was him quoting Genesis 2, but then in verse Ephesians 5, 32, he says, this is what it means. This is why God created it. In Ephesians 5, 32, he says, this mystery is profound. In other words, that the meaning of marriage has sort of been hidden until now. He says, this mystery is profound. And then he tells us what marriage means. He tells us what marriage is a picture of. He says, I am saying that it, that's marriage, refers to Christ and the church. Paul says, this is what marriage is a picture of. This is what marriage is meant to represent. This is why God created marriage because he wanted your marriage and my marriage to be a picture to the world of Christ's love for his bride, the church. And so in other words, guys, the day that you get married and you stand at the altar and the pastor looks at the two of you, I've done it a hundred times, the pastor looks at the two of you and say, do you take so-and-so to, uh, to be your wedded wife, husband? Do you take so-and-so to be your wedded husband to have and hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, forsaking all others? See, I got this thing memorized. Forsaking all others, as long as you both shall live, or he says, until death do us part until death do us part, and then you say, I do, and you walk down that aisle. <clears throat> what the scripture said, not me, but what Paul and the scripture just said is that the primary thing that happened in that moment is that you're welded together, not primarily for companionship, not primarily for sex, not primarily so that you can start a new family, not primarily so that you can express the ultimate picture of your love for one another, but what, all, those, all those things are a part of marriage for sure, but what the Bible just taught us is that all those things are secondary to this reality that you just became a living, breathing, physical picture to the world of Jesus' relationship to his bride, the church, okay? That's why God created marriage. It was ultimately a picture of Jesus' love for us. And so that begs the question, well, what are you know, like how, how did Jesus love the church? What is it that we're representing? How did, how did Jesus pursue the church? What, what, what did his love for us, his bride look like? What is this picture that my marriage is supposed to display? Well, there's one thing about Christ's love for the church that, uh, that we need to understand in order to get our brains around exactly what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter five. And here, here it is. Here's the number one thing you need to know about Jesus' love for you and Jesus' love for the church that we are representing, and it's this, is that Jesus' love for his bride, the church, is never ending. It's never ending. Christ's love for you, his bride, is 100% unbreakable. You can't break it. In Romans, that's exactly what Paul tells us in Romans chapter eight, verse 38. Paul says, for I am sure, he's saying I'm confident, I'm convinced, that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, <clears throat> nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything 
nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul says there is absolutely nothing in this whole world, nothing in all of creation that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Now listen, church. What the Bible just told us is it is impossible. It's impossible to break. It's impossible to sever. It's impossible to end the relationship that God has with you through Jesus Christ. And church, that is what your marriage is meant to represent. That's what you're stepping into the moment that you get married. So that ought to start shedding some light onto why the scripture tells us that God hates divorce. What, what marriage was ultimately meant to be a picture of, this unbreakable love of God to us through Jesus Christ that we're meant to represent, that ought to tell you, okay, th- that's why God hates divorce. Don't turn there, watch. Malachi 2.16, this is God speaking. <clears throat> he says, for I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. I hate divorce. Let's get our minds around the language God uses here. God doesn't say he has a problem with divorce. He doesn't say that divorce concerns him. He doesn't say that divorce sort of bothers him. He says, I hate divorce. Every time in the Old Testament, pretty much that God speaks about him hating something, it's always referring to uh, one of Israel's enemies or one of God's enemies. And so literally what God is saying is that divorce is my enemy. It's my enemy. Why in the world does God say that divorce is his enemy? Why does he say, I hate it? That's strong language. Because it, listen, if the primary purpose of marriage is for you to display to the world the unbreakable love of God through Christ, and then you break apart that marriage, <clears throat> you're breaking apart something that God said was meant to represent the unbreakable. Okay, you're breaking apart something that God created to represent the unbreakable. And so God says, I hate that. All right, so let's turn to Matthew chapter 19. Turn with Matthew chapter 19, verse six, because Jesus is gonna sort of help us further understand how, how kind of God views this thing called divorce. We found out initially God hates it because it misrepresents what it was created to represent, which is his unbreakable love for us through Jesus Christ. All right, Matthew chapter nine, verse six. He quotes Genesis two again, and then he says this. He says, so they they are no longer two, but one flesh. Now watch what he says next, because this is key. He says, they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together. Let not, or rather, let not man separate. Look at that phrase, what God has joined together. There's something critical here that Jesus is teaching you and I about marriage. And what he's teaching us is this. He's saying that when you got married, you didn't join you together. That when you get married, your pastor did not join the two of you together. What Jesus just said is that when you get married, it's God that joins the two of you together. 
It's God that joins. Jesus, Jesus is teaching us that marriage is not something that you and your spouse do, but that it's actually a supernatural event that God himself is the author of. And that's why it's called the covenant of marriage. Because it's not just the two of you doing it, but it's the two of you entering into this one flesh union thing with God. It's the covenant of marriage. He is the author of that thing. It always drives me bananas when, I, when I'm counseling people and they say, my marriage was a mistake. And I look at them and I go, no, it was not a mistake. Because Jesus himself said that God was the one that joined the two of you together. And that's why Jesus says what God has joined together. Not what you, you two join together, but what God has joined together, you don't break it apart. And what's fascinating is the disciples' response. The disciples have an interesting response. <clears throat> Let me read verse uh, six again. He says, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Jesus said, what therefore God has joined together, let not men separate. And watch their response here. He says, they said to him, that's the disciples, well, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? The disciples are like, wait a minute, Jesus. Wait a minute, what do you mean? What God's joined together, we can't break apart because Moses told us that all in the world we have to do is give our wives a certificate of divorce and we're good, okay? Now here's, here's why they responded that way. Now check this out, listen. God has always hated divorce ever since the beginning and you're about to see that in a second. God's always hated divorce, again, because it misrepresents the picture of his unbreakable love with us, but back in the Old Testament, listen carefully, God made a concession for divorce because of the hardness of our hearts. And that word concession is key because God didn't all of a sudden say, okay, divorce is okay. He never gave his people permission for divorce. Giving permission would be giving his blessing. If you're looking for God's blessing on divorce in scripture, you're gonna have a really hard time finding it. But what you will see is God's concession for it. In other words, he looked at his people, he saw the hardness of their hearts towards his word, he saw the hardness of, of their hearts towards each other, and in his grace and his mercy towards us as sinners, he gave a concession for them to give each other a certificate of divorce. But what happened is that the, the Jewish culture, they took that concession that God only gave them because of the hardness of their hearts, and they just ran with it. They just took it to the nth degree. The people were like, sweet. God says we can get divorced. All I have to do is give my wife a certificate. I'm good, no harm, no foul. But what the Jewish, uh, what started happening rather, is these Jewish guys that were taught that, they'd kind of be looking around and they'd see some other girl that they liked better than their wives and they'd wanna, they'd wanna be with her, but they didn't wanna commit adultery. Don't miss this. They didn't wanna commit adultery. They'd read the 10 commandments. They knew that adultery was wrong. They knew that adultery was a sin, but they'd wanna be with this other girl. But they didn't wanna commit adultery because that's super bad. And so what they do is they'd find something wrong with their wives. She, she, she burned their breakfast. She didn't clean the house like, like he wanted her to. She was argumentative one day, whatever, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He'd find something wrong with his wife. <clears throat> he'd just slip her a certificate of divorce. They divorced, he'd go marry the other woman thinking the whole time he hadn't committed adultery. Y'all with me? And then Jesus, I want you to watch what he says because what Jesus is about to say, addressing that issue right there, Jesus is about to drop a nuclear bomb, an atomic bomb on that culture's view of marriage and divorce and their understanding of how God viewed marriage and divorce. 
So in verse eight, he continues after they talk about the certificate of divorce. And he says, Jesus says this, he says, well, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. In other words, that was never God's heart. That was never his view. That was never his desire. That's never what he wanted. From the beginning, it was not so. Now watch what he says. This is where he drops the bomb. He says, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. So Jesus looks at him, and he says, look, you've been giving your wives certificates of divorce because you don't want to commit adultery, but you need to understand something, that God's view of the importance and God's view of the permanence of marriage and that union is so big and it's so high and it's so holy that if you divorce your wife for any reason whatsoever but that of sexual morality and you get remarried, Jesus says you are committing adultery. You are committing adultery. You're not getting off the hook because you gave a certificate of divorce. God's still recognizing that thing that he did. And that statement made the disciples' jaw drop. It made their jaw drop. <clears throat> they said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. God's view of marriage is so high that if I get divorced for any reason other than sexual morality, I'm committing adultery? And, and what, God joined, God joined us together and so I, I can't separate it? You know what their response was? You know what they said to Jesus? I'm not gonna show you the scripture, but you know what the next thing they said? They go, well, Jesus, it's better not to get married then. And you know, what do you think Jesus said to them after they said, well, it's better not to get married. If we can't get divorced for any reason other than sexual immorality, or we commit adultery, we get remarried, it's better not to get married. You think Jesus is like, well, you know, it's, no, it's okay. No, 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 I don't, I don't mean to be that intense. Jesus looks back at him and go, says, yeah, you're right. You're right. God's view of marriage is such a big deal that if you have any intention whatsoever of breaking that thing up, it would be better for you to stay single. That's how big of a deal this thing is to God. And so church, that's God's view of marriage and divorce. God created marriage. He created it to be a picture of the absolutely unending and unbreakable love between Jesus Christ and his church. He's the one that joined them together. He's the one that created the union. And so Jesus says, you don't ever break it apart, okay? Now, so we're learning here that God has a pretty intense view of marriage, really high view of marriage and high view of divorce. So let's go back to the text real quick because Jesus seems to give this exception clause in Matthew. Let's look at it. There seems to be this sort of one scenario where divorce seems to be okay. Let's look at it. Matthew 5, 31. It was also said that whoever divorces his wife, let him give a certificate of divorce. You've heard it said that you can do that, but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And so that last phrase there that Jesus puts, except on the ground of sexual morality, this is one of the most debated sort of subjects in Christianity. And it's, it's a difficult one to fully understand. And so I'd be lying to you 
if I told you that I like have the absolute definitive meaning of this and this is exactly how it's to be interpreted. So I'm gonna do my best to kind of give you what uh, the elders of this church believe is the meaning of this, how we apply it. And again, so that you can, as you move forward, you can look through this lens on how um, you can do this if you ever find yourself in that situation. But at first glance, it seems to be saying here that Jesus in this particular situation says it's okay for you to get divorced and that is if your spouse commits sexual immorality. But listen, here's the thing. I wanna give you some context here of what's going on, again, to help you make an informed decision if you ever find yourself in this place. That word sexual immorality is most often in the culture translated as adultery. In other words, if you're married and your spouse sleeps with another person, that it's okay to get divorced, according to Jesus here. Um, but what's interesting is that that word sexual immorality in the Greek is not the Greek word for adultery. The Greek word for adultery, I'm not gonna try to pronounce it. It's M-O-C-H-A-I-C-I. That's not the word that Jesus uses there. He, he doesn't literally say in the Greek, except on the ground of adultery, he says, except on the ground of porneia. That's, that's the Greek word he uses there for sexual morality, porneia. And porneia is a word in the Greek, and, and y'all need to really listen here. It's a word in the Greek that means pretty much every form of sexual immorality. And so can we go back one verse, guys? Can we go back one verse? It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of all forms of sexual immorality, is literally what Jesus said, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And so Jesus uses a word here that encompasses all forms of sexual sin. Yes, it can mean adultery, but it doesn't specifically mean adultery. It can mean lust. It can mean pornography. It can mean masturbation. It can mean anything, you name it, it means this overarching picture of sexual sin. Now listen carefully. So if we take what Jesus is saying and we apply it literally, it would seem to indicate that he's saying that, let's say you're married, you're at the beach with your husband and he sees an attractive girl in a bikini and he has a moment of lust toward her. He's committed porneia and therefore it's okay to divorce him. If you take that verse at face value with exactly what Jesus is saying, if they commit any form of sexual morality you can divorce him, then that would mean he's at the beach, sees a girl, has a moment of lust, you can divorce him. But here's the thing I wrestle with, is that doesn't really line up with this whole idea of how God seems to be taking the covenant of marriage. One, God hates it. Two, Jesus says that you don't ever break it apart because God's the one that did it, and if you do, you're actually committing physical adultery and so it makes zero sense to me that God would be okay or that Jesus was saying that if you break, you can break apart God's covenant and move on because you know, one of your spouses had a moment of lust. And so what is going on here? What, what is Jesus saying? What does he mean? He obviously said it, so what does he mean? Well, there's that, again, that's where the debate comes in. I encourage you to study it yourself. I've studied it for, gosh, hundreds of hours, but here is where a lot of scholars believe that he's going on here. It's that important to remember that Jesus is speaking here in Matthew to a Jewish audience. Now, in all the gospels where Jesus says this, and listen carefully to this, in every other gospel, 
that Jesus makes this phrase, he does not put that exception clause in there. In every other gospel, it just says, um, if you get divorced and you get remarried, you commit adultery, period. That's all it says in the other gospels. It's only in Matthew does he add this exception clause of except in the cause of sexual immorality. So a lot of scholars believe that Jesus was specifically speaking to this Jewish audience for this reason. And he said it to this Jewish audience for this reason, because back in the day in Jewish culture, what was going on is that before you actually got married and walked down the aisle, you went through a time of betrothal. You went through a a time of betrothal. And it was during that period of betrothal that you actually were called husband and wife. You go check it out. Joseph was called Mary's husband before they actually got married. And then in addition to that, on top of that, back in the day, before you actually got married, if you broke up that betrothal, that was called divorce. And so a lot of scholars believe that, that what Jesus is not saying is, is that adultery is the one situation that makes it okay to divorce, but he was uniquely speaking to this Jewish audience that if you're in the, this period of betrothal and you realize that your person you're gonna marry is sexually immoral, it's okay to break that thing apart because you haven't yet entered into the covenant. And so that's one kind of part of the scripture that's always at our church given kind of sort of us pause. Like, okay, yeah, just get divorced if there's adultery. On top of that, you have the book of Hosea in the Bible, the book of Hosea. In the book of Hosea, God calls this guy named Hosea to marry a prostitute. He says, I want you to go after this woman who is a prostitute, I want you to marry her. And so Hosea obeys God and and he marries her. But instead of her being faithful to Hosea, she starts sleeping with all these other guys. She commits adultery after adultery after adultery, even to the point where she leaves Hosea, moves in with this other guy and is sleeping with him. And so after she cheats on Hosea over and over and over and over again, leaves him sleeping with this other guy, if God was really super cool and okay with us getting divorced immediately after um, adultery, what do you think he would tell Hosea to do? You would think he'd look at Hosea and say, look, bro, and she has cheated on you and she cheated on you over and over and over again. On top of that, she has left you and she is right now with another guy. So bro, you're free. You're free. That's not what God does in the book of Hosea. God looks at Hosea, he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go after her. I know she's cheated on you a hundred times. She's cheating on you right now, go after her. No matter what it costs you, no matter what it takes, you pursue her and you go win her back. So church, let me ask you guys a question. Why, why do you think Hosea is in the Bible? Why do you think the Holy Spirit put that thing in there. And the answer is pretty amazing. Hosea is in the Bible because Hosea represents someone. Hosea represents Jesus Christ. And, and the prostitute that's in there that keeps running away from Hosea and cheating on him, cheating on him, cheating on him, she represents somebody. Who do you think she represents? All of us. The book of Hosea is the story of God's never-ending pursuit of you and me. 
his adulterous prostitute bride. And so the book of Hosea is one of the primary reasons why we don't immediately counsel divorce after adultery with partners at our church. Um, is there an argument that can be made for it? Yes. Is there a concession for it? I think there is. But when that happens, the thing that we encourage is to surround yourself with wise biblical community, surround yourself with the leadership of the church so that we can help you walk through that in a way that honors and glorifies God. But I'll tell you this, the book of Hosea is one of the main reasons and what everything we've learned about what Jesus says about divorce, it's one of the main reasons that if Jennifer, my wife, were to cheat on me, then I, I would not divorce her. I would pursue her and I would fight for her and I would forgive her. And even if she never came back, I would never remarry. Why? Because that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for me. Guys, I have cheated on Jesus a thousand times with a thousand other lovers and he has never left me. He's never forsaken me. He's never broken his covenant with me and he never, ever will. And that is the love that my marriage is meant to display to the world. So, based on what the Bible says, not me, but the Bible, can you get, can you get divorced because you're not happy? Can you get divorced because your spouse isn't what they thought they would be, you thought they would be? Can you get divorced because they're not meeting your needs? Can you get divorced because you fell out of love with them? Whatever that means. The world says, yeah, you can. But the answer of Jesus Christ, the answer of God Almighty, and the answer of his word is a definitive no. And, and here's the thing. I'm not trying to be a jerk here, but I thought about this, that if that's really the kind of marriage you want, if that's the kind of marriage you want that you can enter into, but that you can get out if you're not happy or that you can get out if, you're, um, if you fall out of love or even that you can kind of jump out of if, if adultery happens, then at least be honest with your vows. When you come to the altar, be honest with your vows. Don't stand at the altar and before Almighty God and say, till death do us part. When what you really mean is till adultery do us part. Don't come and stand at the altar before Almighty God and enter into a covenant with him and say, until death do us part, when what you really mean in your heart is until things get hard. Or I don't love you anymore. Till us part. But if you do want the kind of marriage that Jesus is talking about, this kind of marriage that is the picture of Jesus unbreakable, never-ending love for his bride, the church, to the world, then that's when you come to this altar and say, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, forsaking all others, till death do us part. Now, real quick, let me look at a couple points of application, and I'm done. Singles, let me talk to you for a second. In light of everything we've seen today in the, in the scripture, I think one of the best gifts you could ever give yourself is that before you get married, before you get married, you make sure that you're walking into that marriage, not with the culture view of marriage, but with God's view of marriage. It's one of the best gifts you'd ever give yourself. Walk into that thing, not with the culture's and the world's view, but God's view. Okay, you need to understand 
that whatever view you have of marriage, whatever view that you have of the importance and the significance of marriage, you gotta walk into that marriage understanding that God's view is infinitely higher than yours. And you don't walk into it until that rests on your heart what God thinks about it. Or according to Jesus, it'd be better for you not to get married. Here's the second thing. Here's the second thing. Or actually, let me, let me say this. Having this, this infinitely high view of marriage before you walk into it. Um, I, uh, I, I shared this before, so some of y'all may have heard it before, but one of the things I started doing years ago when I do weddings is there's always a moment where, where me and the groom are sort of standing there with the groomsmen and we're kind of in the back and we're about to walk out. And the groom always looks like he's about ready to walk into a football game or something. He's kind of sitting there like going like this and he's, he's got the eye of the tiger going, you know, and he's ready to walk out there and do this thing. And every single time I started doing this years ago, I look at him and I say, look, so-and-so, you're about to walk out that door and you're gonna stand at the altar and you're gonna say, I do. And then in that moment, you're going to become a living, breathing picture of God's sacrificial, never-ending, unbreakable love for his bride, the church. Are you afraid? And every single time, I mean, every single time, God's like, no, man, let's do this, let's go. And uh, I always chuckle a little bit because I think of that scene in Star Wars where Luke Skywalker is about to go fight Darth Vader. And Yoda puts a stick up at, at, at Luke and says, you're about to go fight Darth Vader. Are you afraid? And Luke's like, no, I'm not afraid. I'm ready. And Yoda looks at him and says, you will be. <laughs> and that's what I want to say to that knucklehead. I'm like, you're going to be. And you ought to be. Because here's the thing. If, if you truly have sat under this teaching and, and the teaching of Jesus and you, you get what you're walking into, and what it represents, that ought to produce in you a little fear and trembling before you walk into that thing. Number two, singles, never, ever, 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 under any circumstance, marry someone that is not a believer. It'll be the worst mistake of your life. Go ask anybody who's done it. Why do I say that? Because they don't have God's view of marriage and they don't have God's view of divorce. And so as a believer, you know that the purpose of marriage is to display God, to be a picture of the world, of God's covenant love that can never be broken. And so when times get tough and they are gonna get tough, you'll fight. You'll never give up. You'll stay in that thing. But for a non-believer who could absolutely care less about God's covenant picture of Christ and the church and what you represent, when times get tough or if somebody comes along that's a better option, what in the world is gonna keep them in that marriage? Think about it. Don't ever marry someone that doesn't hold Jesus' view of marriage. Married folks, let me talk to you real fast. Some of you here today got a great marriage. Some of you here today, they're an okay marriage. Some of you here today, they're in a really difficult marriage. I want to remind you of something that sort of hit me this week as I was preparing for this. I want to remind you that wherever you're at in your marriage today, your marriage is temporary. It's temporary. Jesus was crystal clear that you're not going to be married to that person in heaven. There's only one marriage in heaven and that is between Jesus' bride and him. That's it. And that's the way it's gonna be for trillions and trillions of years, okay? So never forget, no matter what you're going through, never forget that this, this marriage you're in is temporary. 
And it's meant to be this beautiful, perfect, loving, never-ending marriage that you will enjoy for eternity. So in light of that, in the short time you have left, as far as it is up to you, do everything in your power to ensure that your marriage here is a picture of the marriage that is to come. And lastly, I'll say this. I know that probably a lot of us that are hearing me today got divorced and you're remarried. And maybe as you're sort of sit here, you're like, man, it was crazy difficult. It was so hard. It was gut-wrenching. But at the end of the day, I'm not sure that I, I got divorced for something other than sexual immorality and mad as God displeased with me. Jesus says that if I divorce because of anything other than sexual immorality, I'm committing adultery. Am I, am I walking in unrepentant sin? Well, here's the thing I want you to hear today and I want you to ever forget it. The scripture's clear that God hates divorce, but the scripture is also really, really clear that God desperately loves you. And Paul said, you know, I keep doing the things that I don't want to do and I don't do the things that I need to do who will save me from this body of sin and death. And then he says, thanks be to God for there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so if you've sort of thought about that, you're like, man, I don't know if I'll walk through that right. I need you to know something today that, that the Bible is absolutely clear that if you're in Christ Jesus, he no longer sees your sin. He no longer sees your failures, your shortcomings. The only thing he sees is a holy, blameless, beloved child of God that is covered with the blood that Jesus shed on the cross and he is well pleased with you. So what, what, what does it look like moving forward? I don't think, I think if you've never dealt with this personally, I think you get alone with him. I think you confess to him all the ways that you chose your path and not his. And then when you do that, I think you receive and you feel the complete forgiveness of God in your life. And then from that moment forward, you live out the marriage that you're in in a way that honors God and displays to the world the never-ending love of Jesus Christ. All right, let's pray together. Father, sometimes when we look into your word, it is so difficult. God, help to give us hearts that believe that your way is better. And God, I understand that there's folks within the sound of my voice that are walking through some heart-wrenching kind of stuff. I, I pray that you would remind them that they have a church that wants to walk through that with them, that you will never leave them or forsake them, that your eyes have not left them, Lord, I pray that they would choose you. And Lord, I pray for the marriages in this room. Lord, I pray that we would be incredible pictures to this world of your love. That's why you, that's why you created us. Maybe some folks that are married here today, God never even heard that before. I pray today they would start walking in that. 
I want to lift up folks in this room that are struggling in their marriage. God, I pray that you would give them the strength to commit, to start displaying that love to the world through the way they love each other every day, even when it's hard. Father, I pray that for folks that have gone through divorces, Lord, I pray they would would feel your forgiveness. And maybe they would forgive their spouse, God, in light of how you've forgiven them. And Lord, I pray that whatever position they're in, that they would walk in a way that glorifies you moving forward. God, we love you. As always, we praise you and we thank you for your word. It's clarity and it's power. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm in church. Let's stand together.